And so they get up and they walk out. They departed after Paul made one statement. Here's the statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. You know what Paul was saying? God told me about you people. You people that have all the information you need to be saved. And yet you won't believe it. Bold? Yeah, he was bold. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm glad you've joined us today. I'm Aaron Paulus. The Apostle Paul is one of the greatest examples in Scripture of what it looks like to have biblical boldness. In today's message, Pastor Trent identifies from Scripture four things an unbeliever needs in order to respond to the gospel and how the church can play an active part in that. So let's listen in and learn how we can be bold for Christ, just like the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. Here's Pastor Trent. Acts chapter 28, let's begin reading in verse 23. If you're there, say, I'm bold. Verse 23, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. And that's what was happening here. There were greater numbers coming to learn, to sit at the feet of Paul and to understand the gospel. He says, from morning until evening, he expounded to them and testified to the kingdom of God. You think I preach long messages. From morning until evening, he never ran out of material. He had so much to expound. He knew the Bible so well. He understood the story that God had put together that redeemed people. So from morning until evening, he expounded to them, testifying of the kingdom of God. And notice this, trying to convince them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. To be bold doesn't just mean you hand out some information. It doesn't just mean you look across the table of somebody and share your testimony. I'm just so grateful for what God's done in my life and and Jesus died on a cross to save me from my sin and I'm just so happy. It doesn't stop there. To be bold means you look that person right in the eye and you say, has anything like that ever happened to you? And then you try to convince them that what has happened to you needs to happen to them. Paul was bold. He was trying to convince them. That doesn't mean you can manufacture someone's salvation. It doesn't mean you can manipulate someone into making a decision that they don't want to make. But it does mean that you confront them with the reality of sin, judgment, hell, and the cross. We are bold about all aspects of what it takes for a person to be born again spiritually. Paul was trying to convince them, and notice how he was, what tool was he using to try to convince them? It tells us from the law and the prophets. Now, that's code language for the Old Testament. He began to connect those dots, he used his Bible to try to convince them. Not a warm, fuzzy story. So we've got to know the scripture to be bold about what's in the word. Look at verse 24. And some were convinced by what he said, 
and others disbelieved. Mark it down. You are not going to bat a thousand. Being bold is the goal. Keeping track of how people respond to your boldness is not your business. It is God's business how people react to the bold proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so if you are concerned about being well-liked and popular, you'll never be bold. But if you are trying to convince people, believing that it is only God who can convert a human soul, it is only God that can grant faith and repentance, it is only God that can regenerate a dead heart, then you can be bold in every setting because you realize that a person's conversion, a person's belief is not in any way dependent upon your ability to articulate the gospel. If I thought that your response to the gospel was dependent upon my ability to communicate to you, I would commit suicide. Because every week I got to stand up here and try to, and try to do my best to try to, to, to get you to believe something you don't want to believe. What gives me freedom, the reason I can sleep on Saturday night is because I realize that my feeble attempt to share the good news with you is not an obstacle to you believing it. It is only God that can grant faith to respond in repentance to what the gospel actually is. So he goes on. This is great. Look at verse 25. And disagreeing among themselves. <laughs> Isn't that great? The people who were convinced and the people who disagreed agreed to disagree. And so they went on their way, disagreeing among themselves. They departed after Paul had made one statement. Stop. Is that not a great setup for what's coming next? Aren't you curious about what is the one statement that made these people get up and walk out? I often wonder how many people are going to get up and walk out after I make this next statement. Dirty, rotten sinner. Anybody want to leave? All right. Well, this is, what, this is what Paul does. Paul knew his Bible so well that he realized that their response had already been prophesied. Back in the book of Isaiah in chapter 9, Paul knew those verses and he quoted them to him. And so they get up and they walk out. They departed after Paul made one statement. Here's the statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. You know what Paul was saying? God told me about you people. You people that have all the information you need to be saved and yet you won't believe it. Bold? Yeah, he was bold. And he, he identifies four things that have to happen in order for a person to respond positively to the gospel. Do you see them? It says they have to see, they have to hear, they have to understand, and they have to turn. Did you see it there? So if in order for a person to become a Christian, you have to see it, hear it, understand it, and turn to it, what's our responsibility as the church if we're going to fulfill our responsibility to share the gospel with boldness? If people need to see it, then what do we have to do? We have to show it to them. They mean, that means that they have to observe in our lives a discernible difference. That it's not just on our lips, but it's in our life. 
that the gospel that we are proclaiming to them has brought change to us. They have to see it. They have to see it. They also have to hear it. It's not enough just to live a good life and try to be like Jesus and be a good example. Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. That's a bad statement. It really is. You should preach the gospel through your life, but the gospel is intrinsically tied to words about Jesus, words about the cross, words about sin, words about forgiveness, words about the cross. You have to use your mouth if you're going to be bold as a Christian. And so they have to see it. We have to do what? Let's try that again. They have to see it. We have to do what? We have to show it. They have to hear it. We have to, we have to say it. They have to understand it. We have to explain it. We've got to know the gospel and know the scriptures and be able to talk to somebody about their objections. We know that what we believe is unbelievable without the quickening power of the Holy Spirit granting faith to a hard-hearted, knuckle-headed believer like you and I used to, unbeliever like you and I used to be. So we have to, we have to show it. We have to say it. We have to explain it. And if the last thing they have to do is turn, what do we have to do? Point. We have to point them to the cross. It's not in a church. It's not in a religious system. It is not in your church attendance. It is not in your good behavior. We have to point them away from religion, and we have to point them to the cross, boldly, unapologetically showing them that there is a Savior, one Savior that God sent to be um, the only way to be reconciled to God. But he says, you guys have all the information you won't see it, you've chosen not to hear it, for some reason you can't understand it, and you won't turn to it. So then in verse 28, he says this, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Now, who are the Gentiles? The Gentile, by the way, that's not a compliment. If somebody calls you a Gentile in the Bible, that's not a compliment, all right? The, the, the Gentiles referred to in the Bible, they were the people the farthest away from God. They didn't have the Old Testament scriptures. They usually worshiped false idols. They had false religious systems. They worshiped something because the human heart's designed to worship, but they didn't worship the true and living God because they didn't have the revelation of God uh, through the written word of God. And so Paul says... I am turning my attention to the people who are farthest away from God. Who are the people in your circle of influence who are the farthest away from God? Those are the people that you have to be the most bold with. Boldness doesn't just mean brash. It doesn't just mean you speak. It means you go to hard places. You make bold moves and bold decisions with your life and with your money and with your time to go to places that other people are unwilling to go to. To be bold means that we go to people who are the farthest away from God, believing that God can even grant a listening ear to those people. They will listen. And then finally here in verse 30, it says this. He lived there two whole years at his own expense, Interesting, to be bold means that it's going to cost you. It may cost you time. It may cost you money. It certainly cost Paul money. He lived there at his own expense. Notice this, and welcomed all who came to him. All of them. No matter how far from God they were, 
no matter what they smelled like, no matter what they looked like, no matter how bad their track record was, he welcomed all who came to him. Sometimes people ask me, they say, man, you're, Trent, your church has really grown fast and it's like you're having trouble like putting people in places and stuff. Like how big are, I mean, how big are you gonna grow your church? And I'm like, well, first of all, I don't get to decide that. It's God that gets the growth. I'm trying to offend people as quickly as possible. I need seats, right? So, no, I'm not really trying to do that. Uh, only offend people with the gospel, right? Um, we don't want to offend you in any other way. If you're offended by the gospel, then um, it, w- we can live with that because we're bold. So people say, well, you know, how big are you going to grow your church before you just say that, that's big That's big enough? I'm like, what do you want me to do? You want to put a no vacancy sign outside? And it's like, you are not welcome anymore at heart. We don't have room for you. Is that what we're supposed to do? Listen, it's God that gives the growth. It's our responsibility just to be responsible stewards with the people that God's given us. And that's why our small group ministry is so important. How do you, create, how do you keep a large church small? By putting people in circles, in small groups, in training and raising up little micro-pastors, our small group leaders around the church. We're giving our lives to that. And so we want to create disciples, and we want to welcome all who will come. Verse 31, here it is, the final verse of the entire book of Acts, one of the longest books in the New Testament, 28 chapters. He comes to the final verse, here it is. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all, what? Boldness and without hindrance. Now, that's the last verse of this massive history book but don't you think that's an odd ending? I mean, what happened to Paul? What happened to all the different churches? Where did it go from there, right? I think that the book of Acts really should end with an ellipsis because we now know as we glance back in the rearview mirror what actually happened. There were churches planted all over the place. Those churches eventually planted churches that ended up in Europe. And after centuries and after even some really bad theology in the church, God quickened and brought a great reformation in the 15th century where gospel-centeredness came back to reality and the cross once again became a point where people had to come for salvation. And the doctrine of justification was renewed and that was more church planting and more missionaries. It eventually made its way to the Western Hemisphere, and there were churches that were planted, and the First Great Awakening, and the Second Great Awakening, and through a couple of hundred years, and then into the 1900s and the 20th century, and then in 1988, there was a church planted in the northwest suburbs of Chicago that 10 years into their existence made a decision, we need to plant some churches, and the 37th church out of that church that was planted was Harvest Bible Chapel Granger, and now here we are in Acts chapter 29. And what are we going to do? We're going to proclaim the kingdom of God and teach about the Lord Jesus Christ with all what? Boldness. Ellipsis, ellipsis, ellipsis. And there's going to be people come after us, but we're going to gaze out the front windshield. So when we talk about boldness, can we just kind of end here talking about five things that that we want to be proactive about? Please understand this. Some of you are, I know what you're saying. You're saying, I'm so shy. I'm an introvert. You're asking me to do something way outside my comfort zone. I'm with you. I'm right there. I'm part of that team. Here's what we need to understand, though. Everybody's bold about something. 
because boldness reveals your deepest passions. Whatever you came in today talking about, some of you came in talking about your pot roast that you're looking forward to. Some of you came in talking about your family that you haven't seen in a while. Some of you grandparents, if I come up and talk to you, it's gonna be about 90 seconds before you pull out your phone and show me a picture of your grandchildren. And at the risk of, of really even thinking that I would be interested in your grandchildren, you're gonna be bold enough to show me, right? It's like, you don't even care. You just, you've got to see my grandchildren. I don't care if you care, I care. And if you love me, you're gonna care about my grandchildren, right? And you're bold about the things that you're passionate about. Some of you came in here talking about your football team um, and, and, and you wear it on, you, you wear hats and you get, some of you screamed your face off at football games this year. And, and it was because you were, you were passionate. Boldness is the result of your passion. So if you have a lack of boldness about the gospel, what does it reveal? You have a lack of passion about the gospel. You have a lack of passion about the reality of what Christ has done in your life. Here's the second thing. Boldness is required in a shifting culture. How many of you were born before 1969? Raise your hands. How many of you were born after 1969? Raise your hands. Oh, that's a wonderful balance, by the way. Okay. Um, if you wondered, you were middle-aged. You'll have to figure out which side of that equation you're on. Now, um, I've told you many times, I was born in the state of Oklahoma. All right. Have I made that abundantly clear by now? Okay. Uh, and you know where my football loyalties are by that statement, by the way. So, but, but I, some of you don't know this, exactly where I was born in Oklahoma. Okay. Now, um, I was born in Muskogee, Oklahoma. All right. Now, I was born in 1967. Now, I just want you to notice on this map where geographically Muskogee, Oklahoma is. Muskogee, Oklahoma is almost the farthest town from New York City and Los Angeles, California. Okay. It, it sits smack dab right in the middle of America. That's where I was born in 1967. Now, in 1969, there was a wonderful theologian hymn writer named Merle Haggard that wrote some lyrics to a song that became one of the top 100 songs ever in the history of country and Western music, okay? Now, you have to understand, in Oklahoma, there are only two kinds of music, country and Western. That's all we have, okay? So when I was two years old, Merle Haggard did me a wonderful favor. He wrote a song called Okie from Muskogee. I see some of you nodding your heads. Would you like to now stand and sing this great hymn of the faith here in church? <laughs> Here's the way the lyrics go. The lyrics go like this. We don't smoke marijuana in Muskogee. We don't take our trips on LSD. We don't burn our draft cards down, at the uh, down on Main Street. We like living right and being free. I'm proud to be an Okie from Muskogee, a place where even squares can have a ball. We still wave old glory down at the courthouse and white lightning still the biggest thrill of all. All has three syllables, by the way, in Muskogee. <laughs> in case you didn't know that. Now, as that song was being played on one side of the radio dial, there were other songs being played on the other side of the radio dial that were coming out of places like New York City and Hollywood. As a matter of fact, many of you are familiar with the phenomena of Woodstock. 
where uh, kind of the counterculture, the boldest of the rebels in society began to write other lyrics to other songs as they danced around smoking their marijuana and taking their hits on LSD and frolicking nude in the mud at Woodstock. So as you think about what was happening in 1969, about 40 years ago, can you imagine what the people in Muskogee were thinking about the people in Woodstock? I mean, those people are strange. They're so weird. They're so bold. They're so countercultural. I mean, being in Woodstock would kind of be the equivalent of living in hell. Do you know what the people in Woodstock were thinking? People that live in Muskogee? No marijuana? No LSD? White lightning? That sounds like hell, living in Muskogee. And so that was kind of the, the, the first time that this, this, this clash of cultures began to take place. And we've all lived it as we've grown up in various places like Muskogee and South Bend or wherever you're at. But the point I'm trying to make is this. If you still think that those people in Woodstock are the strange ones, you're deceiving yourself. We are now, as bold Christians, the minority. We are the weird ones. We are the strange ones. We are the ones who are the counterculture revolution. And the good news is that is the place throughout the history of the book of Acts and the history of the church where the church has thrived when it becomes the revolution, when it becomes the counterculture, that's the time when Christians are the boldest. It may be that Christians become fewer, but Christians will be truer as those who, if you want to put that name Christian on your name and it's going to cost you something, that actually might thin out the crowd a little bit so that we don't have to deal with a bunch of phony, hypocritical, compromising, quote-unquote, Christians who are Christians in name only because we know you won't be bold when you have to pay a price for what you believe. Boldness is required in a culture that is shifting. Number three, boldness is rooted in the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To be bold doesn't mean that you are a courageous person, you're a tough guy, you have thick skin. It means that you understand that boldness is the minimum requirement for someone who's been transformed by the power of the gospel. In the headlines this week, you have become very familiar with a lady named Kim Davis, a uh, circuit court judge in Kentucky who has refused to offer same-sex marriage licenses to those who applied for them. Now, I do not know all the factors. I do not know exactly what I would do if I was in Kim Davis's shoes. But this is a woman who's been transformed by the power of the gospel. It's been interesting because people who have tried to attack her have said, well, she's had three, three marriages and three divorces on her own, and, and now she just wants to pray a little prayer to Jesus, and it's all going to be like, act like it never happened. Uh, yeah, that's the gospel, as a matter of fact. 
Exactly. And so now, being transformed by that gospel, she doesn't want to violate her conscience because she realizes the preciousness and the significance of what marriage is all about. It's a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I do not know what I would have done if I was in Kim Davis's shoes, but I do know this. Kim Davis has not failed in her boldness. And there are going to be some of us that are going to be in those positions where we're going to have to make some tough choices about what to do. We will not fail in our boldness. Number four, boldness risk being an offense to those that we are trying to rescue by our love. Boldness risk being an offense to rescue those that we love. Being bold doesn't mean you're brash. It doesn't mean you're rude. It doesn't mean you're belligerent. It doesn't mean you're hateful. It means that for the sake of getting people to a better place, we're going to be bold enough to talk to them about sin and salvation and grace and truth. You know, the only sin that remains in our culture is calling something sin. Oh, you can't. How can you, like, are you saying I'm wrong to call something sin? Yeah. So you still believe in right and wrong? Well, that's not exactly what I'm saying, but you see, it's a circular uh, argument that goes nowhere. We've got to risk being an offense in order to love those people to a better place. And here's the last thing. Boldness refuses to compromise the truth. The truth is not something we make up, we don't invent it, we don't write it, we just deliver it. Truth stands outside of us, it has been delivered to us, and so when we open our Bibles and read, we read truth that is true for all people at all times in all places. And so when we open up the Bible and we read, and it is our responsibility to believe boldly what God says about the origin of man, what God says about the sanctity of life, we're going to be bold and believe what God says about the significance of marriage. We're going to believe boldly what God says about the exclusivity of Christ. We're going to believe boldly what God says about the reality of judgment. And we're not going to compromise because it is the only truth that can bring us to our knees and get us to a better place. Today, Pastor Trent Griffith challenged us with the following five points about biblical boldness. It reveals our deepest passions. It's required in today's shifting culture It's rooted in the gospel, it risks offense in its attempts to rescue, and it refuses to compromise truth. In the weeks ahead, we'll take a closer look at some hot-button topics from the perspective of God's Word so we can be bold in our convictions about them as believers. Well, if you've been encouraged and challenged by Pastor Trent's messages and you live in the area, we'd love a chance to meet you at one of our weekend worship services, Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We're located on Hickory Road, just north of Cleveland Road in Granger, Indiana, near University Park Mall. 
We also have some exciting news for our listeners in Berrien County, Michigan. Harvest Bible Chapel Granger is planning an extension campus near you, and we invite you to join us for an informational meeting on Sunday, June 26th from 5 to 6 p.m. at the Benton Harbor St. Joe YMCA. We'd love the opportunity to share our vision for what we believe God will do right there in Berrien County. You can find details on our website, harvestgranger.org. Well, I'm Aaron Paulus, and you've been listening to Resonate with Trent Griffith. Thanks again for being with us today. My prayer is that God's Word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger, harvestgranger.org.